Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hello, you're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. And you can watch it on Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and on 133 LUS Fiber. I'm your guest today, Duriel Harris, sitting in for Jordy. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, our guest includes at 2.30, we've got Chris Rosevaglu from Boot Crew Media talking all things Saints. And at 3.30 p.m., we got Koki Raleigh from the Daily Advertiser talking all things LSU. James, after that second week of preseason, man, how do you feel? Well, we had some great games this weekend. Uh, the Saints look good in, in, in areas, and everybody's talking about the, the punter with the 81-yard punt. Oh, yeah, Blake Gilligan? Yeah, and then the next thing you know, he's getting drug tested. This is a random test. Oh, that, that ha- it feels like that happens every time we see something super crazy from a player. It's like, oh, they get the quote-unquote random drug test. Yeah, it's it's amazing. But uh, the Saints look really good in their, in their kicking game. I think special teams going to be a, uh, a big improvement over last year with these two guys. They, they keep going like they're going. Uh, still got some things need to work out. Uh, I saw too many instances where the quarterback was running for his life back there. So hopefully they can get those things worked out in an offensive line and uh, be much better next week there. Yeah, I was I was watching the game. The special teams looked just as good as it always does. It almost feels like it got even better, especially with you know the kick returns and the punt returns and the good tackling on the kickoff with running backs like Tony Jones Jr. putting in an effort. You love to see that. And defense looks looked just as good. Couple couple things here and there, but I did see some players where it was like, okay, I, I kinda like your chances of making the roster almost. The only thing that gets to me though is the offense. The O line, it it looked a little better. Ian Book, I felt like he slightly improved a little bit. He looked a little more confident. He looked like he was out there for a purpose to actually make the plays, not just play to screw, not to screw up. He was looking to try and move the ball down the field and score. Now, unfortunately, he only did it once, but it was one more than we saw last week. It's an improvement. Yeah, it's an improvement. I, I saw a little bit of promise. I saw a little bit of improvement out of him. Now, I don't want to say he's going to be a star or a starter or – someone that's going to make an impact in the league. I think he's got a very far away from getting there. But when it comes down to it, you saw some improvements. He looked a little better. Yeah. It's, guys, you, you know, you're supposed to get better. The more opportunities you get out there to, to run the offense and, and show what you can do, you have to improve if you want to make the squad. So I think this next week coming up is going to give us a better understanding about the Saints and where they're headed. Because as you get closer to the regular season, you start playing more of your veteran guys. You start getting ready for that season opener. You know, you spend the first couple of weeks evaluating talent, trying to see what you have, where you're going to go. But I think as we get closer to the opening weekend, we're going to see more 
of the veteran players and get a better idea of what we can expect from this team this year. Yeah, for me, I was kind of shocked that we didn't see Andy Dalton again, but it made sense. Like, he ran he ran the offense perfectly against Houston, so I was like, okay, we don't need to see you. But I also thought we would have seen K.J. Costello, who they signed a couple weeks ago. But no, Ian Book played the whole game, so the fact that we're not going to see Andy again and the fact that the Saints actually just released K.J. Costello yesterday, to me that tells me that they're just going to let Ian Book play all game next game against the Chargers on Friday evening. Yeah, I think that's a good move because you have to keep in mind the injury situation. We've lost some players already this preseason. I mean, number one picks, some veterans. Tampa Bay O-line has been like just decimated with injuries. So uh, Andy Dalton has been around. So a guy like that, you don't have to evaluate him as close as you do with somebody like an Ian Book who hasn't really had a chance to play or prove himself. Andy Dalton was setting the league on fire you know, a few years ago. So that's a guy who's as experienced, he's seasoned. You want to have him healthy because you don't want to start the season with only one quarterback yeah. and a, back, a backup with no experience. So I can understand them want to keep Andy healthy. And you got Jameis coming back. And you need that insurance in case something does happen. You know, we hope that Jameis stays healthy all year. But if he doesn't, you know, last year they were, they were in a bind by not having a reliable backup. So Andy Dalton is that role. And I don't blame him for protecting their investment with the guy. And in case something goes wrong, like I said, you've got a guy that you know can play. So uh, Ian Books probably have a, another game to show uh, or impress the coaches to see where he's, where he's going to be. Or he can showcase his talent for somebody else. So I think it's going to be a big week for him, and uh, hopefully things will work out. Yeah, and hopefully we see maybe a few more downfield shots because against Houston, we didn't see it. But we did see the one long pass down the left sideline to try and hit Kirk Merritt. It went right through his hands. It would have been a nice like 40-yard catch. So I'm hoping we maybe see a little more open offense and we see him maybe take two or three shots instead of just one late in the second half. Yeah, I think you know the the fans got spoiled with Drew Brees. Uh, he would take his shots downfield all the time, and he would pick the right opportunity to make it work. So uh, they've got a ways to go to to get to that level. But I think they are going to uh, take some shots this year. They've got some people out there. They made some additions to the wide receiver position with some speed to get downfield and get separation. So I think we're going to see uh, more balls going downfield once the season starts. Yeah, especially since you actually got some burners this time. You don't have just Deontay Hardy. You also got rookie wide receiver Chris Olave, who he's looked pretty good, and he's been impressing us every step of the way. He's only gotten better so far. You know, well, Chris, I mean, being a number one pick, you, you almost expect that out of the guy to come in and be a player. If he didn't, you'd think, oh, wow, it's a bust. But he's doing really what they expected him to do, and maybe they expect even more from him. But I've been hearing a lot of talk about the kids from Nichols, uh, Nichols State or Nichols University. Uh, Dejon Dixon? Yeah, uh, uh, what, undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, got good size, uh, speed for a big guy. And they say he's been making some impressive plays during training camp, great catches. I think uh, he's got to find a way to contribute on special teams because I can remember back when I was a rookie, I was a third-round pick, and I had to go down and cover punts and kickoffs. So a <laughs> uh, free agent, you better do everything. You better cover kickoffs, punch, you better long snap, and bring the guys Gatorade during a timeout. Yeah, and that's why I almost feel like maybe Kirk Merritt has a better – he's maybe a little more ahead than Dejon because we saw him take a – he had a 59-yard return against Green Bay last week, and he's done a few things on special teams. So the fact that you're seeing 
wide receivers like Kirk Merritt and running backs like Tony Jones and Dwayne Washington make plays on kick coverage and kick and punt returns. The fact that they're making plays right there and they're showing out, that's how you get a roster spot whenever you're not a guaranteed starter. Exactly. you got to be able to do more than one thing and uh, multitask and, and try to just make a uh, get noticed. Go out on special team, make a tackle, block a kick or a punt. Uh, you have to do what you can do just to get an opportunity to be there for the year and improve on your regular position. But I just think the, the receiver from Nichols, uh, with his size, he just looks so good, man. He's a receiver. What, 6'4", 215? I mean, yeah, he's, he's about 6'3", 6'4", like 210, 213. And you get some of those smaller DBs on the guy. I mean, you can just throw throw the fade to him all day long. You know, if the guy can can produce, I think it would be a great uh, option to have for the Saints. Yeah, it's – you got a lot of options now, whereas last year felt like you didn't really have any. And you you get Michael Thomas back. Now he's got a little bit of a hamstring injury. He didn't play he didn't practice yesterday. But I mean, so far we've talked about it all. He has had a regimen with Dennis Allen. They said that he will be ready for week one. So I'm not really worried about the hamstring. You get Chris Olave out of the first round. You've invested, if you look at it, you invested five total picks in him. So you're definitely going to have him be a major contributor in the offense. And then you sign veteran and former LSU Tiger and Jarvis Landry. You usually only keep five five wide receivers, and you got Deontay Hardy, who's pretty much like your main special team and kick and punt return guy, and then can also be a deep shot guy whenever you maybe take out Chris Olave or maybe you have both of them out there to run two deep shots that way you have more options but that other receiver you almost kind of look at it and you you don't want to pencil him in but you feel like he's got a very good chance because of what he's done in the past and Mark West Callaway who is the Saints wide receiver one last year because of all the injuries yeah but you have to I guess you know evaluate his performance and looking for improvement and it depends on how much he improved uh, over last season the coach's eyes uh, where he's going to be. But I just think those final two spots, if they keep five, uh, two of those positions are probably up for grabs. you got competition for them. So uh, hopefully this week it'll kind of settle down. We'll find out who the final guy's going to be. But uh, you got at least two spots are open. You can look at Michael Thomas and Landry and Olave ready for you know the first week of the season. But they're going to need those other two guys to step up and play as well. So hopefully we'll figure out who those guys are going to be in the next couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh- I think I have a good idea, but I'm also wondering about the tight end position because, I mean, you're going to keep Adam Trotman since he's going into year three, so you got a couple years left on his contract. You're moving Taysom Hill to tight end, but he's kind of going to be more of that joker role where you kind of just move him around a lot. He's not going to be dead set next to the tackle or near the tackle on the line of scrimmage. You're going to do a bunch of different things with him in his usual Taysom Hill role. But it's like, what are the uh, who are the other two tight ends are going to be? I know people have been talking a lot about Juwan Johnson and he's been further developing and getting better as a blocker because he was a wide receiver transformed into a tight end. Right. So he already had that size and speed, but you put a little more bulk on him and then he starts developing as a blocker. He becomes a real weapon. So it's like if that's the case and he makes the roster, I mean, you you have three technical tight ends with one of them being more of a, a flex piece. Do you have a fourth and maybe have it be someone like Nick Vanette or J.P. Holtz or Lucas Kroll and you only run the two two quarterbacks and you just have Ian Book be on the practice squad. 
you know, there's, there's some options, but we're going we're gonna to talk to Chris later. I'll bring that, that question up because, you know, every time we speak of the passing game, uh, James, we talk about the receivers. We don't mention the tight end. So uh, we need to find out more about that tight end position and, and what they look like. So it'll be a great question for Chris later on and uh, be great. We're going to take a timeout, and we'll be back. You listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. All right, welcome back. I'm Daryl Harris, your host today, filling in for Jordy Goldberg. What about the ultimate tailgate giveaway? Football season is here, and the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, wants to crown you the tailgating king with the ultimate tailgating giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. You can score $500 to Chops Specialty Meats, a new grill with accessories, a cooler, a set of chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, tickets to LSU and Raging Cajun football games, and so much more. Enter the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. Wow, James, that's pretty good. I'd like to run that package myself, man. Oh, man, if I could, I would sign up for every one of these awards. Hey, look, I was uh, looking at some uh, emails I get from the NFL, and one article caught my attention. They list 30 guys that they recommend be removed from the Hall of Fame. Can you believe it? Really? 30 guys. I, I had to go down the list. I was Some of them I was shocked. Some of them, you know, it was okay, but uh, – they even talk about getting rid of my old teammate, Bob Greasy. Yeah. You know, won two Super Bowls, but they're saying that anybody could have done that. He just hand the ball off and, you know, Larry Zalkinum did the rest. So they're talking about removing guys like Bob Greasy. Can you believe it? That one that one kind of caught me off guard because, I mean, he's a two-time Super Bowl champion. I mean, he, he was a part of a great team. It's kind of like the same thing with looking at former Steelers quarterback Terry Bradshaw. But the fact that you want to remove him, it's it's almost like, you're you're hating on somebody because they all they had some help. I mean, isn't it a team game? Yeah, I mean, it, and other guys are talking about removing uh, T.O. Terrell Owens, you know, pulling the sharpie off his socks and autographing the ball during the game. Uh, but one that uh, didn't surprise me as much was Lynn Swan. Uh, we would play the Steelers uh, back in those days, and everybody knew that the best receiver on the Steelers team was Stallworth. Lynn Swan got all publicity come from USC. Popular guy, high draft choice, but Stallworth from a little small school, Alabama, AM, I believe it was. He was the real receiver, ran the best routes, big, uh, good size and speed. So, uh, Lynn Swan, I, I would vote. That's one I would vote for, really. It's it's also, he got a lot of publicity because he did uh, the catch in the Super Bowl where he's falling down. He, he had the catch, but he, he did the. The dancing, like he was a like he did the the ballerina dancing. Yes, after the touchdown, he he scored. He, he did some dancing, but the play so it's like kind of caught people. Yeah, and the play again, the falling down catch really made him a star in that Super Bowl because it was a heck of a play. And Dallas, I mean, Herb Adley had him covered. You know, he just he made a great catch as he's falling down to the ground. Oh yeah, and they took my removing Broadway Joe. I mean, this guy. I mean. If anybody should be in the Hall of Fame, it should be Broadway Joe. He was such a groundbreaker in so many areas. So you can't you can't take Broadway out of the Hall of Fame. Nobody else wore a mink coat on the sideline, okay? <laughs> and you're taking away the one the one good thing from Jets fans. It's yeah. like it was the one good QB that the Jets have ever had. 
You're going to take that away? No. Oh, I, I, don't, that, I don't agree with this list. Maybe you should cut it down to maybe about 10 guys, and I'll go along with it. But 30 guys, uh, guys like the Golden Boy, Paul Harding from the Green Bay Packers, Ray Nitschke, Leroy Kelly from the Browns. I mean, these are some – I mean, to, in my eyes, these are some true Hall of Famers he has on this list. So, I don't know. A couple of them I can agree with, but the majority of them I think uh, they should remain. What What about What about Kenny the Snake Stabler? That they also said that one at number sixteen. Good Good friend of mine. I, I love Kenny. I I wanted to play for the Raiders during my career, but I stayed with the Dolphins. But Kenny and I would play in these charity uh, games in off season, and we'd have a great time. To me, he was the coolest quarterback in the league, and I would have loved that opportunity to play with him. Uh, he was a real players' player. You know, like most quarterbacks. Uh, sometimes are extension of the coach, and they can be kind of conservative. They won't hang out. Stabler would hang out with the guys. He was just one <laughs> of the guys, so he wasn't on a pedestal like quarterback. He would just be one of the guys, hang out with you, do crazy things with you. He just didn't separate himself. So I just have nothing but respect for him. And, and on the field, the guy, uh, he made some great plays. I mean, come on, the left-handed, the snake, you got to leave the snake <laughs> in there, man. That's what I'm saying. Now, there are a couple of receivers that caught my attention. We we talked about Terrell Owens. That one that one shocks me. But what about Chris Carter? What do you what do you think of Chris Carter being on this list at number eleven? Well, like Buddy Ryan said, all the guys do is catch touchdown passes. <laughs> Remember that's famous words from Buddy Ryan. Yeah. But uh yeah, Chris was a, a big a big big playmaker for the end zone. A guy in the green zone, you look for him, he'd make the play. Uh outside the green zone, he wasn't as effective, so I don't know. They may have a point there. What about now? I I know there were a couple of players, and it was because of maybe a drug problem or something off the field, like looking at Michael Irvin. Michael, I watched Michael at the University of Miami while we were, while I was in Florida. Great receiver, great player. I I think he's he's worthy of a Hall of Fame induction. The guy that you could look at on that team was a quarterback like Bob Greasy. Aikman had so many weapons. Aikman didn't have to do anything special. Just don't make mistakes and protect the football. You had Emma Smith. You had Michael Irvin. You had the big tight end. Uh, you had the great O-line. Yeah, O-line, defense. So Dallas had some talent around Troy. So uh, I would look at him before I look at Michael Irvin. And it, it was funny because you're talking about Bob Greasy. It was kind of like the same thing. Troy was actually number one on the list. Yeah, I mean, he had, everybody knows the talent that Troy Aikman had around him. Uh, I mean, this guy just had a, a – a, a bunch of studs. I mean, I look at some of the holes that Emmitt Smith ran through. You couldn't see anybody on the screen but him. I mean, <laughs> you could run through those holes, James. I was going to say, I feel like I'd be a pretty efficient runner yeah. behind the Dallas O-line. Yeah. So it's just a, sometimes it's you can have a great surrounding cast and you don't have to do as much as a quarterback. A lot of times when you find a quarterback having to do a lot, he doesn't have the weapons. Like I can remember Fran Tarkin, a great quarterback. Oh, yeah. Never had the weapons, running for his life every play, but he was so excited and so entertaining. And the things he accomplished uh, with the statue being, what, like 5'9", I mean, he was a great quarterback, but he didn't have the surrounding cast. And it, it makes a difference. And what, a, what about another name that really caught my eye was Jerome Bettis, the bus. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I really like I really liked the bus. I, th- I thought he had a really good career. The bus, uh, I don't know. I don't really have a, a position of bus. To me, the bus was you know a great player, but the bus, to me, didn't do as much as I would think or a back would have done. 
the bus had some some couple great years. He left the Rams and went to the Steelers. But uh, I don't know. The bus was just big. <laughs> Run over a few people. Yeah. But I just think he did, he wasn't that exciting. Kind of boring from a standpoint. Just watching him run. It, it was. It's kind of like say almost Emmett Smith because you see all these highlights of of maybe old timey running backs like looking at like Barry Sanders or Walter Payton or Jim Brown, but it's like I never see any like really big highlights of Emmett Smith that just pop up on my social media timeline or on like YouTube whenever I type in like sports highlights. When you see some highlights, Emmett Smith again, you're running through a hole with nobody's there. He's in the secondary. Like he's already in the secondary because everybody else is blocked in the front seven. Right, and the first person he saw was a safety 10 yards down the field. So he had, you know, a lot of games over 100 yards and some great runs, but everybody was being blocked. Whereas a guy like Barry Sanders, he had to make three people move before he went across the line of scrimmage. It's a big difference. Yeah. You, you, had, to, you had to put on a lot of moves and, like, have some combo moves to try and get him off you before he even got to the line of scrimmage. And, and, and I have the ultimate respect for Barry Sanders. I mean, the guy could have played another three years. He could have broken Jim Brown's record, but he said he had too much respect for uh, Jim and he didn't want to break his record. So the guy retired. So hats off to a guy like that who respects someone uh, came to the game before him, and he had all the ability in the world to break that record. If he would play another couple of years, Emma Smith wouldn't be the number one rusher in the National Football League. That's that's a fact. That is, that is very true. I, I completely agree with that. What about another running back in John Riggins? He was number nine on the list. Yeah, take him off. He beat us in the 1982 <laughs> Super Bowl. Take him off. He doesn't deserve it. He ran over <laughs> our, our defensive back, Don McNeil. The guy had a broken wrist. Had a cast on James. He couldn't wrap up, so Riggins ran through his arm tackle, saying that made him a hero. So, hey, he broke our hearts. Get him out of there. He doesn't deserve it. <laughs> and we were we we're talking about Barry Sanders. I saw I saw Charlie Sanders on the on the list. That that one caught that one caught me off guard a little bit as well. Yeah, Charlie Sanders. Another one I saw on the list was Art Monk. Yeah, Art. I Art saw Mark, Art as well. It was nothing really special. He was there for a long time and caught lots of short passes. I think the guy averaged maybe seven, eight yards a catch. So I, you know, some of them. Sometimes the numbers can mis, be misleading. As I explained a, a few weeks ago on the show, the receiver with the utmost respect from everybody around the league was Paul Warfield. The guy made the Pro Bowl on only twenty nine receptions. That will never be done in the history of the game. And he and he had. Like twelve touchdowns. Oh yeah, because because it was like as soon as he caught the ball, he had a very good chance of scoring a touchdown. It was usually over. <laughs> yeah, like he was just that good of a weapon. Yeah, I mean, so uh, sometimes the number of touches can be misleading because nowadays running backs are catching 80, 90 passes, receivers are catching one hundred and twenty. So it's hard to tell when you got guys getting that many opportunities, other guys uh, getting half as much. It's what you do with the with the ball once you get it. So I was a big fan of uh, John Madden's called the uh, we call it rack receiving yards after yeah. the catch. I love that stat because that shows as a once you're a receiver you become a runner. What can you do once you get the ball? Can you turn up and get some additional yards? Yeah. What what about looking at a quarterback that some deem as like a top five in Brett Favre. He's got the stats, but one thing that really gets to you is the mind boggling amount of lead that he has in the interceptions category. And that's what they're looking at. Brett was kind of careless with the football. Uh, I know Brett real well. He's down in Kiel, Mississippi, not too far from New Orleans area. Uh, Brett had that gunslinger mentality. <laughs> Brett 
thought that he could thread the football through the smallest window that was there. And he would challenge the uh, defensive back or the linebackers. If they were a yard away from the player, he's going to throw it. And he just had that much confidence in his arm strength that he can get the job done. And because of that, he had uh, a lot of interceptions. But the guy did some some great things on the other end. I mean, he was a game changer, another a quarterback who would run over people, uh, I like by Brett Favre, too. He's the first quarterback I see to headbutt his offensive lineman. <laughs> Come on, you don't see quarterbacks <laughs> headbutting the lineman anymore, you know. But that's the kind of uh, toughness he had. And I thought that, that uh, the, the toughness he showed on the field, his whole team rattled around that and responded. So I, I think Brett Favre is well-deserved of his position in the Hall of Fame. One thing that always got me was he always told the story and – it made me think I'm no quarterback and I'm no like football genius. I don't know every in and out about football, but the fact that he was like one of his backups was asking him about a nickel coverage and a dime coverage. And he was like, what's that? And he's like seven years in his career. I'm like, what do you mean you're in the NFL and you don't know what nickel and dime coverage is? Well, uh, there's been several quarterbacks that people said those things about. One was Terry Bradshaw. They said he couldn't read a first-grade book, much less a defense. But the yeah. guy won a couple of Super Bowls. And and and, and sometimes guys with that natural ability, uh, they just have so much confidence in what they can do. They, they're challenging the, the number one. Uh, they're not looking at those second and third reads. They're going to that number one guy. You know, Brett Favre was like that. So sometimes it's the mentality of that quarterback. Because I've, I've had some quarterbacks on my team that were – geniuses when it comes to reading the defense. They knew where everybody was supposed to be, what what audible to call. But guess what, James? They got on the field. They couldn't do it. Yeah. They could do it on paper, and they could take these quiz and tests out loud and ace them. But when it came to putting that knowledge into their arm and making decisions on the field, they were lost. So you, you can't put uh, too like, much emphasis on that classroom side of it. It's, like, it's kind of like Sam Bradford, who probably had some of the – probably one of the best Wonderlick scores ever as a prospect coming out of college. And he was out of the league by year six or seven of his career, and he was a backup by the end of year three or four. So it's like it, sometimes just being book smart in enough, you just also got to be able to. You got to have it all. You've got to have enough of it to be able to, to function, read the defensive well enough to make decisions, but you got to have that that mentality and that aggressiveness, and you got to have that fight in you. You know, some guys, I play with guys, James. Some guys just didn't have that fight in them. It's like they were content with being on the team and in a backup role. Yeah. And 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 me as a player, I, I always like, hey, give me the ball. I want the challenge. Let me you know win or lose this thing. That's just the way I was aggressive, and I had guys who weren't that way, and. I, I couldn't understand that as a teammate of mine. I said, wow, these guys don't want to go out. Like some guys looked like they were content being on the bench. Like yeah. You told them, okay, you're going to go in, they would just get nervous and get small and shrink up. So it's just the way certain guys are made up, man. That's why you have some guys excel because everybody has talent, obviously, at that level. But what makes the other guys rise above that is some things that you, you can't judge. That's the – the size that, that fight in the heart and, and what they want to do and, and their competitive drive. You can take all the tests you can at the combines, but they just can't judge you, your heart, and, and what kind of fighting uh, power you have inside of you. And and maybe that's why we're seeing players like Brett Favre and Bob Greasy, who only won like one or two Super Bowls on great teams, 
and same thing with Troy Aikman, but you look at Terry Bradshaw, who it's like, okay, well, the others only did it once or twice, but Bradshaw did it four times. So it's like, okay, well, maybe he is, maybe he is a also a good part of the reason, and that's why he's not on this list of people that should be removed. Hey, give me a fighter any day. I mean, nothing wrong with the guys that knows the playbook uh, better than the coaches and the schemes better than anybody else. But I want a fighter, man, because, you know, no risk, no reward. That's what I said. You got to take chances in that league if you want to be successful. Hey, we got to take a timeout. You listen to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home of the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. College football is back. It's time to enjoy the tradition, the fun, and the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. To celebrate the best time of the year, right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. If that's not enough action, you can also place a same-game parlay for a shot at an even bigger payout. Just combine multiple bets into one, like which team will get the win, which team will score first, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. There's a call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code 1037GAME. Bet just $5 on college football and get $200 in free bets instantly. That's code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 or older, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. One per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as $825 free bets. Restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-770-STOP. Hey, welcome back to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. I'm your host, Duriel Harris. Hey, James, I, I got to tell you about this, man. You know, I'm watching some preseason football the weekend. Uh, I think it was the Chargers and the Cowboys. And they're in the green zone. And the young Ricky receiver for the Cowboys is in the end zone with a touchdown. And... He runs out of the end zone, and he's out of bounds by about six inches. The guy never slows down. He never chops his steps. He don't drag his toes. I'm wondering, what are they teaching these guys at that level? The guy had a touchdown, but because of lazy footwork and not having a mental awareness of the field position, he doesn't get a score, and now he might not make the team because that one play. Guys, you get that opportunity, you've got to come through. Hey, we got Chris on the phone. It's Chris Ross Vaglou from Boot Crew Media, here to talk all things Saints. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Hey, we've got some questions for you, man, about the Saints, and you're the man, so help us out. Uh, with the Saints now, let's talk about that old line, Chris. Have you So far, have you seen uh, much improvement in the old line over last year? You know, I would say for two particular players, we've seen some improvement. I think the the main thing that stands out for me is Cesar Ruiz entering his third season, looking a lot better, at least through training camp and preseason. And we saw it through the Packers game. I thought he showed a lot of promise. And it seems like he's playing with more of a mean streak, which is something yeah, that happened I'm... in 2020. And so that's been a huge plus. And I'd say the other thing that's been a big bonus for the Saints over the last week has been kind of the week-to-week improvement of Trevor Penning in, in the preseason opener against the Texans. thought he struggled at times in pass protection, but he looked a lot more sharp in that area of his game against the Packers. So hopefully 
in the preseason finale and the practices to come over the course of this week and next week. We'll kind of see him continue to climb up that ladder steadily. You know, if James Hurst is healthy, the Saints won't need him to start week one, but the fact that he's taking those minor steps in the right direction is definitely a positive. Right. Hey, and Chris, uh, watching the last couple of preseason games with the Saints, a couple of players that have stood out for me where I'm like, I'm not too sure if they're going to be able to make the roster, especially with all the competition in the secondary and Brian Allen, Demarcus Fields. Do you, do you can you foresee them having a good chance of making the roster? I think it's a really tough uphill battle for them, and part of it is they haven't done enough of their own merit in the actual games they've been in. But the bigger issue for them is more so the competition they go up against. I mean, you know, the times have changed for the Saints. Back then, you kind of think of it being a team where. They're probably loaded at the offensive skill players, but right now the strength of this team is secondary, and specifically at quarterback, you already know that Lattimore is making the roster. You know that Adebo and Bradley Roby and Alante Taylor will three. So you're you're basically wondering if they're going to keep a fifth DB. I would imagine they won't keep a fifth corner, and part of the reason why is you're already considering PJ Williams and CJ Gardner Johnson on the roster, and they're so versatile that they can play safety, they can play in the slot. So. I think the Saints are so talented and so loaded at that position that it makes it really tough for someone like a DeMarcus Fields who was pretty talented at Texas Tech or even a player like Allen who has had some moments here and there in camp but maybe not enough to warrant the 53. It really makes it we got We got Chris Rose of Glue of Brew Cougar Media. Looking at the defense as well, I want to look at the linebackers now. John Bostick and Chase Hansen. They, they to me, have stood out so far in these preseason games, what do you think of them and their performances so far? And do you think they have a good chance of making the roster? Yeah, you know, for Hanson, he started off so strong with the, the preseason opener. And I remember, you know, Jordy and I were talking about it last week, how it felt like he was another performance away of kind of going from penciling his name on the roster to potentially sharpening his name on the roster. But, you know, I think he still has a little bit of ways to go. You talked about Bostic. I think he was one of those players who – in the Packers game and also what he's done in practice over the last couple of days, he's a player who's you know kind of going up the ranks, and it's just a matter of is there enough time for him. He was signed pretty late relative to the rest of the roster. Does he have enough time to kind of make an impact for the Saints say, hey, we got to keep him on that final 53? But I would imagine one, not both of them end up cracking uh, the opening day roster, but for the Saints, you know, you feel comfortable with Demario Davis, Pete Werner, the groin injury, something that's been lingering, and that's a that's a really big concern for them. So, I think it's going to come down to Bostic or Hanson, and one of those two guys maybe potentially being a depth piece throughout the season. And uh, honestly, right now, I kind of feel a little bit more confident in Bostic because I've seen him do that with Washington in a bigger role before, whereas Hanson. We haven't really had that chance to see him yet at the NFL stage kind of shine in a bigger role. So I would kind of lean with Bostic right now, but I do think both of them have a chance to make that final 53. Yeah, hey, Chris, this is Daryl again. Uh, thinking back my rookie year, man, I had to run back kicks and punt returns. So as a special team player, uh, how does the Saints special team look going into this season? Yeah, I think the, the special team should be the, one of the strengths of this team. I think – just looking at the Green Bay game, I mean, you have Will Lutz hit a 59-yard field goal. That's a huge plus. And even throughout training camp, he's been 38 of 40, which is just magnificent, especially for a kicker coming off an injury. And, you know, in terms of the punt game, Blake Gilligan 
He had an 81-yard punt the other day, and it was so impressive that he, he joked on Twitter that he got called in for a random drug test. So it seems like their punter's ready to go. That's for the return game. You kind of know what you're getting out of Deontay Hardy. He's one of the most explosive kick returners in the game, but the Saints also have potential options like Rashid Shahid, an undrafted rookie, and also Kirk Merritt, who had a 40-plus yard return against the Packers. So I think as of the way this, uh, this unit stands today, I would say that this is uh, you know, a special teams unit that should be ready to rock come week one and make an impact for the Saints. That's, that's great because you know a lot of games are won and lost with the uh, special teams. Yeah, you know, it's been a lot of talk about the quarterback. I got to ask you, Ian Book. People been uh, really hard on this guy, and I don't know much about him. What what's going on with Ian? You think uh, this year? Yeah, I think for Ian Book, it's tough because for starters, you know you're entering a new season with the new head coach. Sean Payton's the one who brought him in, and Sean Payton really liked his potential and and said that he actually reminded him of himself, interestingly enough. So, <laughs> you know, to have a new coach now, I know it's, there's some continuity of being Dennis Allen, but it's still a little bit of a change of pace. And I think for him, he hasn't done enough in the preseason to really validate saying, okay, should the Saints use a roster spot on him? And he still has time, still has two more weeks left, has another preseason game to kind of make that impact. But I think for Ian Book, the, the alarming thing has been the turnovers, two fumbles, uh, in two preseason games. He's also had an interception in each preseason game. And part of it is when you're playing with those third stringers, the pass protection isn't great, and you're not really able to get on schedule as much as you'd like to. But on the flip side, with another year, you'd, you'd think you'd see some growth in that department, whether it's his consistency and things of that sort. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we just haven't seen that so far. So I think for him, he's in a position where he's looking at kind of the arrow trending downward for whether or not he's going to make the roster, which is unfortunate for him. But that's kind of where I'm at with Ian Book. Right. When it comes to the running backs, I feel like Tony Jones Jr. and Dwayne Washington have solidified as maybe the RB3 and 4. At that point, can you see the Saints keeping a fifth in Abram Smith, or do you think he'll have to sit in the the practice squad? I think right now, I think it's kind of what you alluded to at the end there. I think for Abram Smith, it's, it's kind of a practice squad situation. If they were to go that route and – I think Tony Jones Jr. over the last two weeks has gone from, I don't know if he's going to make the roster, to, okay, it's kind of hard to keep him off the roster. He's played well in both preseason games. Mm-hmm. He continues to get better in practice. And you mentioned Dwayne Washington. He's a player where even if he's not making a big contribution at running back, you know you can utilize him on special teams. He's been such a good special teams player for the last couple of seasons in New Orleans. So there's added value there. So. I think at most it is the four running backs with Washington and Jones. I could still see them having it be, you know, come down to three if, if they feel like they have to load up at other positions. And if that's the case, I'd probably lean a little bit towards Tony Jones Jr. But for Abram Smith, you're an undrafted guy, and backfields around the league are pretty crowded right now. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him back on the Saints practice squad. And he's a player with potential. I don't think this is the end for Abram Smith. It's just he was undrafted. It is a learning curve getting to the NFL. And. He does have explosiveness at times, but he still kind of has to find that balance. This is a player who played linebacker a little bit at Baylor, and then they finally switched him back to running back. So it's a little bit of a give and take with him. But I'd, I'd probably leave Tony Jones Jr. making the roster. If they keep a fourth, you add Dwayne Washington and Abram Smith more likely going to the practice squad. Hey, great. Well, hey, well, thanks a lot, Chris, for being on. We appreciate you, and look forward to having you on again soon. Thank you so much for having me, guys. All righty. We're about to go to a commercial break. You listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home 
of the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Jordy Holberg has been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast booth. But did you know he was also a star on the dance floor? Can you just wash your hair? You know, I worked on my hair a long time, and you can hiss my hair. John Travolta ain't got nothing on the blonde bomber. Now back to the man with all the moves. Jordy Holberg and the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Delta Media is your home for thrilling high school football. This season's lineup includes St. Thomas Moore on the game 1037 Lafayette, Acadiana High on MeTV FM 97.7. On Karen Crow High is going to be on Z1059. Southside High is going to be on Mustang 1071. And the Vermilion Parish is going to be on 1063 Radio Lafayette. All the St. Landry Parish is going to be on News Talk 98.5, while Barb will be on the game 1041 in Lake Charles. So make sure you download the station's free mobile apps to listen to your favorite teams at home or on the road. Delta Media is your home for Friday night football. Hey, son, we got high school football covered in this area, don't it, James? Oh, man, we got plenty of teams. I mean, for me, I'm a Como alum, so I wish we would have that on one of our stations, but we still got a pretty stacked lineup. I mean, STM's always making deep runs. Acadiana's always really good. Karen Crow's very consistent as well, and we still got a young up-and-coming team in Southside High. Well, let me say this. Coming from Texas, we have pretty good football there, but we don't have quite half the coverage that you know we have here in Louisiana on high school football. So that's a great job they're doing to cover these young athletes and give them a chance to showcase their talents. And, and then even looking at Ver, the Vermilion Parish and the St. Landry Parish, it's not like we're covering just one team. We're covering like the premier matchup for – for that week. Yeah. So it's not just one team. It's pretty much anybody in that parish. Yeah, whoever like, whoever wants to step up to that plate. Yeah, it's well, like everybody can have a game of the week every week. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah we, we got plenty of coverage there. And I know for me, I'll be staying here in this station. I'll be handling STM. So that that's always good. Uh, I'm going to be here the latest since they run all the commercials and they run the extra post game. And then even then, for me... I'll be doing the pregame before we switch over to Danny Jones at 6.30. And then at the postgame, whenever we get done, I'll do a 30-minute postgame. And that'll be that'll wrap up at a, around 10.45, 10.50. And I'll probably be out of here at, a, at about 11 o'clock on Friday nights. You're the hardest working man in the business, James. <laughs> hey, look, I was just thinking about our last guest, uh, Chris from uh, Buku, Bukru Media. Uh, what an excellent uh, guest he was today. He really gave us some inside insight on the Saints and training camp. But the one question we didn't get a chance to talk to him about was the tight end situation. And that's something, you know, we haven't heard much about the Saints tight ends, how they plan to use them. So maybe the next time uh, he's on, we can dive into that tight end situation. But uh, between you and I talking, what do you think about the tight end situation this, this year, James? I'm thinking you got Adam Trotman as your tight end one. We I've heard some good news about him. He he looks better. He's he it feels like he's able to really step into that role. Whereas last year it was it was just kind of thrust upon him. You got Taysom as that Joker role where you, while you still are able to technically have him as a tight end, you can just put him wherever you want. I like Juwan Johnson, like we had mentioned earlier. I think he's made good development and he's looked a lot better over the course. I just wonder, are you going to just run those three, or are you going to run a fourth? And in that case, will Lucas Kroll or J.P. Holtz 
Or are you just going to keep the veteran Nick Vanette, who's kind of just, he's just been there for a while. He was there last year as a reliable tight end, too, for the Saints. So it's, are you going to keep that commodity? Or are you going to maybe go in a different direction or maybe run less than you usually do? Or you usually keep three, but in this special case, are you going to run four and have one of them be that special Taysom Hill joker role? I think you can get away with three and still get that accomplished. I think with, with Taysom here, you're going to see some great packages and schemes uh, when they get down to the green zone and the goal line situation because Taysom can come into the game and you can line up at an H-back or fullback or you can put him out outside the tight end. There's an extra blocker there or – uh, you can do a direct snap to him as a quarterback. So with, with having Taysen in that lineup down there, you could really give those defense nightmares. It depends on how you use him. So I'm kind of curious as what they're going to do with Taysen when they get down those goal line situations. Hey, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back uh, next hour. We've got uh, special guest Koki Raleigh from the Daily Advertiser. You listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hi, welcome back to the game. I'm your host, Duriel Harris, sitting in for the Blonde Bomber. Hey, James, I was thinking, a recap of uh, this past weekend games, but we got to talk a little bit about uh, Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Watson. Now, as uh, the ownership side or the coaching side, you get Deshaun Watson, you think you're going to lose him for four games, and you just want a guy to to fill in because you trade away Baker Mayfield. So, hey, you want to have a guy who can just get you through four games and let Deshaun come back. Well, the suspension got overturned, and the guy gets 11 games, so now you got a guy going to be out for 11 weeks. You don't have a guy that you can just put in there and get you to where you need to be, and Deshaun Watson is going to be out. So do you make a trade now to get uh, another person to come in to do a better job, or you go the whole year with an untested rookie or an untested Veteran guy who's never played. That's got to be a tough situation to be in if you're the Cleveland Browns. So let me put you in the, in the coach's seat. If you're the Cleveland Browns, James, what do you do with this situation with now Deshaun has 11 weeks and you don't have a quarterback to put in? I think for me, looking at the QB situation, you've already invested so heavily in Deshaun that you don't want to give up any more draft capital, especially for just a Band-Aid replacement. You got Jacoby Brissett, who's filled in before for he's played as a backup for the Patriots and started games there. But before then, he was or he was also with the Indianapolis Colts whenever Andrew Luck had done the surprise retire. So he's filled in before and he he's done an okay job, but it, it's not somebody that you want to rely on for super long, especially for eleven games at this point. You just kind of have to bite the bullet and then just be like, look, we're not going to throw this season away, but we're not going to go out there and go get another quarterback. You, you just kind of, in my eyes, you would just have to leave with, live with it. You rely on your running backs heavily. You rely on your tight end that you just paid in David Njoku. You got 
a solid wide, a really good wide receiver one and Amari Cooper who can get open consistently. You got one of the best old lines in the league. So I would almost say you just leave it alone. You just play super conservative football. You lean on your defense and your run game. And you just, I hate to say play not to lose, but you just try to make sure you don't lose the game of because of a bunch of turnovers. You just play control the clock football. Well, I hope that the Browns, when they looked at getting Deshaun, that they kind of ran through the different scenarios, you know, four weeks, six weeks, 11 games, a whole year, because it could have been the whole season. And I'm not going to get into how you feel about what was appropriate and what wasn't, but just as a standpoint of a football team, where do you go from here? So uh, with, a, with a young quarterback or backup, you can come in the league and have one or two good weeks until people figure out your strengths and your weaknesses. And once Brissett is out there for a couple of weeks, everybody in the league and other teams are going to know what he can do. And then he's going to start seeing everything come at him. So you're putting an awful lot of pressure on this guy and a lot of pressure on your defense and everybody else to step up and play. And so how is that team going to respond to that pressure? Do we have enough veteran guys to understand the situation they're in? So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that situation uh, for the first 11 weeks, whether or not they're going to be in the tank and it might not matter about the last six, seven games we come back, or will they be competitive enough to still have a chance to make a run when Deshaun comes back? So it's just so many things that are left up in the air with that situation that it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out this year. Yeah, I think they'll be competitive in most games, but I don't think they'll necessarily win a bunch. They may be around 500 by the time you get there. They'll they'll be 5 and 6, I would say. So, you'd be in the hunt. You wouldn't be eliminated. So, you would just kind of roll through the rest of the way with Deshaun. And hopefully, you ended on a three-game win streak. So, hopefully, you go 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one with Deshaun by the end of it. Well, I'm wondering, looking at it from a, from a standpoint of just trying to be safe, I wonder, did Baker Mayfield force their hand and had to make this trade early? Because the ideal situation would have been for them to keep Baker Mayfield at least to the trade deadline. And you got a guy there to fill in those first four to six games, seven games, whatever it may be. And that would have given you a little bit more stability at that quarterback position. But with Baker gone, now you're left with nothing. So I'm just wondering if the, if the Browns got outplayed by Baker and he just left them high and dry. They could have kept him there into that deadline and he could have been a starter until Deshaun you know, was able to come back and play. So it, it, it's just going to be interesting. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this thing plays out. Then we can, I guess, pass judgment. Was it a good decision or a bad decision to sign the guy in the first place? So let's just see how it goes. Yeah, for me, I was – Baker really did force, his, force their hand because, I mean, for him, he started for them the last three years. At this point, I mean, he's got too much pride and he's done too much to just be – somebody's backup that hasn't played in a year so I don't I don't blame him either way and I mean if I was Baker I would have done the same thing because it's like look trade me to a team that actually wants me and wants me to play because you're obviously trying to get somebody else so you're obviously not committed to me long term and my contract is going to be up soon so there's no point in me being here especially with all of this chaotic craziness that's going on with what's going on with Deshaun Watson so it's like just get me out of here. Let me go to a different place. And sometimes when you look at it, Baker didn't have a good year last year. He was injured, but I don't want to say that's an excuse for him. You still got to play better than you ultimately did. So looking at it, 
when players go to a new place, sometimes they just need that change of scenery and they become a whole new player and they Im- improve and become somebody that you almost never expect because you got so used to what they were doing in their original place. Yeah, it's just got to be real bad between uh, Baker and his representatives and the Browns are going back and forth. Uh, maybe it could have been handled differently where the Browns could have kind of kept it cordial and friendly between the two and then come up with a, a creative package on some incentives that, hey, these first six, eight games, you know, you do X amount of work or you do this and that, reach certain numbers, we could, uh, you know, put some extra money there for you because all these guys say they don't want to go somewhere, they will be somewhere else. But when you put those dollars out there, a lot of those guys change their mind about leaving. So they could have maybe done something to, to help keep the guy there a little longer as insurance, you know, and just not let him leave him like they're high and dry. But, hey, it was a management decision. They went with shipping Bayfair out, thinking they were going to get Deshaun back in four or five weeks, and it didn't pan out. Now they got to go to plan, probably plan C. And yeah, figure plan, out, plan like C or D. Yeah, right. What are they going to do this season? Yeah, that it's definitely not optimal. It, it kind of feels like a Cleveland Browns thing to do, where it's like everything just falls on your head and nothing goes your way. But, I mean, that, that's, that was pretty much the risk. That's also why they restructured Deshaun Watson's contract because he was going to be owed $30-40 million, like a significant amount. But they kind of anticipated it almost. They thought he would be out for five, six games. So what they did was they just restructured a little bit to where they only owe him $1 million and he just gets a huge signing bonus. That way it doesn't count towards their cap in case they do maybe want to get someone else. And then, like the rest of the contract, it's going to be thirty-five, thirty-eight, forty million dollars for the for the rest of the duration. But I mean, you almost unless you just really want to go get another quarterback. But even then, I don't know who you're going to go get. That's the thing. Yeah. Because the Saints are going to be content on keeping Andy as their backup. You don't want any of what's going on in Seattle, whether it's Geno Smith or Drew Locke. Minnesota, they're not going to trade their QB. One thing that could be interesting though is and it, it even works because it's opposite conferences and usually if you're going to trade a significant piece you want to trade them to the opposite conference that way you don't have to see them as often and maybe since Green Bay just made that huge extension with Aaron Rodgers maybe trade for the young QB and Jordan Love. Yeah. Well it, they have some options and uh, like you say you don't want to mortgage the farm just for this, this one year. But on the flip side, look at let's look at Goodell's role in this. Okay, you or get lack a, of. Yes. You get a special judge to hear the case, and you usually go with whatever they, the judge says, what the decision judge make. But the judge makes a decision. He comes out, oh, no, I don't like the decision, puts his thumb on the scale, gets another guy to come in and arbitrate that situation. So it seemed like to me – if you're going to have someone investigate it and make a decision, at least have confidence in that person that when they make a decision, you can respect it. But in this situation, he didn't like the outcome. He puts his thumb on the scale, gets somebody else, and they do something else, which is, which is okay, I guess. But at least go into it and give that judge or that arbitrator complete control and let them come with their decision and let their decision be final. It's like, to me, they're moving the goalposts, but – you know, that's what happened. We have to live with it. And, and it's weird because you put all the trust in the judge. She gives him six. You're not satisfied. You go get someone else. They increase it to 11 and increase the 
the dollar sign fine and you're still not happy with it it's like if you had it if you had an idea and what you want for how long you want to suspend them why don't you just do it yourself exactly take the heat you make the call and take you, the heat but he's you, you do it all the time it's like why why is this case now just so special that you're like I don't want this on my hands. I want to put it on someone else. I don't get it. Why would you do that if you've done it pretty much every other time? Except. And you've always taken the flack for it, but now all of a sudden you don't want to take the flack and you're blaming everyone else? He's done with players, but let's look at management. When he came to Robert Kraft from the Patriots, that case just slowly went away. Goodell has said nothing about it, and I haven't heard anything about it since the incident down in Florida. So, it's like one standard for the players and another standard for the coaches or the owners. It, it It's almost, you kind of look at it, the, the 32 owners, they're really the head. They just have Goodell be like almost the mannequin, like, hey, here's our quote-unquote face, here's our commissioner, but really we're the one controlling him. Yeah, because they're paying his salary. So how can, you know, they're paying the salary. The guy has to listen to them because you're just not going to give a guy, each team give the guy a million dollars and give him complete control. He has his limits, and everybody's paying part of his salary. So he has to kind of appease these guys as well. So it's like it would almost be like me trying to tell Ray what to do. It's like I can't tell my manager what to do. It, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's like there's levels to it and there's power levels. Goodell, I mean, you're not going to suspend Robert Kraft if he's over you. Right. So that Robert whole- Kraft's going to, if anything, replace you and get someone else that would do your job better and, yeah. and answer to them more often. That whole structure needs to be looked at and changed because you can't have somebody working for the owners that's making decisions on the players, not making decisions when it comes to the owners. You need to have a separate governing body that is not being paid directly by the owners, uh, take some money from the te- television revenue and pay these, the special magistrate or special person to make those decisions. So you don't have that that feel, that sense of that uh, the commission is in cahoots with the owners. So it's just a, a, a nasty situation, and I hope that they're addressing the future so that we could not have these situations come up where we're thinking uh, somebody's being treated a different way from another person. They all should be treated the same. Hey, we got to take another time out. You listen to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our awards club, you will have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate at Acadiana Bar and Grill or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So sign up today. Hey, welcome back to the game. I'm your host, Daryl Harris, filling in for Jordy. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Hey, James, we're going to talk a little bit about the Saints. I've been listening to some of the other shows and – uh, a lot of people are getting a little rattled out there because the Saints are 0-2. Let me just tell everybody, take a deep breath. I can remember when we played, we had uh, six preseason games and then the four, but I can remember a year we won all six of our preseason games. Everybody's all excited. Oh, Super Bowl, you're going to be great. Well, it didn't turn out that way, folks. And we've had some teams that go 
winless in the preseason, 0-4, and, and they turn around and win a division and win a Super Bowl. So you can't get all upset about these preseason games because this time has been shortened from six games to three, and the coaches need this time to evaluate the talent to see where the team is and find out what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. So please, you can just throw the record out, relax. It's preseason. That's what this is for. Now, you know, some teams may try to win all the games to, to go in with a good feeling, but uh, a coach that looks at his talent, evaluate the team, is going to be much better in the season. So forget these two losses. They've got a game coming this week against the Chargers. You're probably going to play more of your veteran guys this week, at least a, a half, if not more. And I think after this game, you'll get a better feel for the, for the team. Uh, you'll see the guys who are going to be out there week one most of the time. So, Forget about these past two weeks. Those losses are over. We're still looking at talent. And then once the final game is here, we're going to cut the roster down and get ready to go into the season. Then everything counts. So right now, don't get all upset. These games don't count. It's preseason. It's evaluating talent time. You got to make some tough decisions on cuts and who you're going to try to work out a trade, move some people around. So let's look at this next game and see how much improvement we see in the team and getting ready for the opening roster, who's going to be here and go forward. So, James, tell everybody to calm down, man. It's preseason. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing really to worry about. You kind of want to look more at individuals than almost the team itself. You want to see who's really able to run the system, who really stands out. Because looking at teams like the Baltimore Ravens, they have a 22-game preseason win streak. The last time they lost was 2016. But you haven't seen them go to the Super Bowl since 2012. It's like they've always been good teams, and they have a good foundation. But cool, you you have a preseason record, but that ultimately doesn't count towards your regular season record or count towards you being in the playoffs. That's the difference in the, in the organizations and the coaches and and it's the team's uh, strength. Whether you're a young team. With a lot of new people, you've got to look at them and evaluate them. But if you've got a veteran team, uh, you don't have to do as much evaluating because you know where these guys are. So each situation is different, and the coaches are going by what they have to work with and where they need to be. So uh, some people place more emphasis on the game than others. I can remember we played some preseason games, and I was a rookie, and we're in the second half, and you think you're going to be going against other rookies? I was going against some starters. Some of the other teams played their veterans for three quarters. Coach Shula always took the veterans out uh, at halftime. So we got to go against the number one people. So as a, as a young person trying to make the team, you can really make an impression because you're going against that team's number one. So if you go out there and make a great catch or a great play, uh, do something to get those coaches' eyes, it means more because – who the competition is. So uh, you just can't go by the, the the wins and losses in preseason because everybody have a different objective. And the main thing uh, is trying to get yourself in a better position, keep everybody healthy so you can go into season full strength. You don't want to risk your stars getting hurt and you start the year with, with a backup that you didn't count on. So people trying to protect these guys and get them out there for day opening day. So just uh, look at it like that, and I think you can sleep better at night. Yeah, it's more of like a televised practice or tryout. That's ultimately what it is. It's a televised audition. Yeah. You're auditioning there for a new spot, a new job. You're a new person there. You just got hired. They want to see what you can do. And they only have three weeks now to make that decision. A lot different when they hit four and when they hit six. And if the NFL has their way, 
They're trying to get to an 18-game schedule anyway. And then only have two preseason preseason games next year. So, And the players are fighting that, but that's where they're going to a longer regular season and a shorter preseason. So uh, pretty soon – all the games are going to count. You're going to have a 20-game schedule. No <laughs> preseason. Go right into the regular season. Yeah, that as as great as that would be, I, I still I know a lot of people don't like the preseason, but I actually like it myself because I get to kind of see what the players are doing and not just have to rely on people who cover the team or just the team itself telling me, hey, who's standing out or not. I can look at it myself. Is it? A little more bad football and is it super simplistic of the offenses and defenses that they're running yeah but to me that's almost the fun because i get to watch and see like okay who's really understanding what they need to do and who's really standing out because you could have a quarterback throw for like 175 and go like 17 for 29 but if he doesn't have any touchdowns and he has like two interceptions to me, that's ultimately not somebody that you really want on your roster because he's turned the ball over a bunch, and it also just kind of depends on how are they seeing the field. Are they getting through their progressions, or are they just staring down the one receiver that's their option A, and if it's not there, they just take off running? Like, how, What's their process instead of me just looking blank face like, oh, this player had three catches the whole game? Cut them. You know what I mean? I kind of like looking at the film itself and actually watching the game live to see like who's really standing out, who's making plays, who need, who is doing what they need to do and some to try and make the roster and who's just kind of there to maybe be there, collect a paycheck. Now, now, see, listen to you, it's interesting to me because you're coming at James from a fan standpoint and where you look at it. Myself, I'm coming at it as a former player standpoint. So it's hard for me to watch a preseason game because – all the young guys out there auditioning, and you see some mistakes. I'm sitting at home watching. I'm saying, "Hey, I'm I'm I've had a game twenty years. I could have made that play." So it's just yeah. hard because, as a former player, you're real critical and you have an eye for detail. So I see things going out there. I say, "Man, goodness, this is the, the NFL, and they're making those kind of mistakes." So it's it's just man, it's brutal for me to watch a preseason game because of the way I look at a game and the way I analyze plays and decisions made by the players. And I'm thinking, man, you learned that in high school, and these guys in the NFL are making these kind of mistakes. So it's hard for me. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't watched a complete game yet of preseason because I can't. It's just uh, it's just too much with what's going on. What they're trying to do so. Come regular season, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go because I know those guys are there. I expect to be a, a more, a lot more competitive, a high, much higher level of expertise in the game. I look forward to that. But preseason, man, Jay, you can have it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't like to look at it for too long, and I don't like to watch every team's games. But the teams that I care about, like the Saints, I want to see that. Maybe see a little bit of Patriots because I, I kind of follow them, or maybe see what the Bengals are doing. Or see what pops up on my Instagram or Twitter feed to see like what big highlights are these rookies or undrafted rookies or maybe veterans that are trying to fight for a spot. Like what what crazy stuff did they do? That that that's what that that kind of gets me for a little bit, but ultimately I can't watch this forever. That's why I don't want to see too little of preseason, but also don't want to see too much. I think having three is ultimately the ultimate balance because you have three games to look at your players because you don't really need to look at your starters. They've already solidified their position. You don't need to see them 
until the regular season. You don't want to risk injury. But having a fourth where it's where it's like you have the offense and the first team play four play that third game where it's almost kind of like that dress rehearsal. That one almost feels like it could go away because I need to see who is standing out that could be a backup. I can see the offense all I want during the regular season, the first team offense, but I want to see what the backups are going to look like. Who's really standing out that wants to be somebody that could step up if there's an injury at the wide receiver position or who could be that QB two or three or who, Who's willing to be that tight end three that's going to be more of a blocking role that doesn't really get much offensive look when it comes to the passing game, but that that could make a play because it's not somebody that you expect to see because they're not a high-profile player. Well, look at it like this. As a former player, it's a a blessing and a curse. Let's put it this way. Movies come out, James. You go and see a movie, and it's a good movie. You're interested, and, man, you come and say, that was a great movie. You come to me. I said, oh, man, I saw that last week. You know, I don't want to watch it again. So it's almost like that from, as a former player because you've done that, been there. It's, it's like a repeat or rerun. Now, now, trust me, there are some movies I've watched five and six times, ones <laughs> I really like. Yeah. But you don't want to see all the movies five or six times. So it's just tougher when you've been there and played the game and you're watching this preseason and you know that's not the, the final project, product. It's just hard to keep your interest. Yeah, it, it's it's – for me, having a little taste of it, kind of feeling like, oh, if I were the coach or if I were the GM, I would keep this guy on the roster or I would take this guy out. It, I would, I kind of play like a what if in my head. But doing that for too long, it's like, okay, I need to go away and I'm ready for the regular season. That's why I like having the three games instead of the four. That, that, that's just for me at least. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we we'll, we'll some movies we'll see together, and others I'll pass on. We'll, we'll yeah, leave it we'll, at that. We'll we'll look at it. We'll watch one here or there, but it's like a majority will will go in our own direction. Right, right. Hey, you listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. College football is back. It's time to enjoy the tradition, the fun, and the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. To celebrate the best time of the year, right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. If that's not enough action, you can also place a same-game parlay for a shot at an even bigger payout. Just combine multiple bets into one, like which team will get the win, which team will score first, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. There's a call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code 1037GAME. Bet just $5 on college football and get $200 in free bets instantly. That's code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 or older, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. One per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit and wager. $200 issued as $825 free bets. Restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Licensee partner, Golden Nugget Lake Charles. Gambling problem? Call 1-877-770-STOP. Hey, welcome back. This is Joy Horbrook Show. I'm your host today, filling in Duriel Harris. You listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You know, James, every time I, I step outside, I'm getting asked about the LSU Tigers. What are they going to do this year? What they got? What they have going on? Well, I don't know that 
much about the LSU Tigers. So I go to the man who knows everything about the LSU Tigers, and that's Cokie Riley from the Daily Advertiser. He's going to be our guest coming up uh, in a few minutes. Oh, he's on right now? Great. So we got Cokie there to fill us in. Hey, Cokie, how's it going, man? Doing really well. Uh, I I hope I can answer uh, all of your questions. <laughs> you can. You hey, you're the man. If you can't ask him, Cokie, I'm in trouble. <laughs> hey, I should be able to. Hey, I'm just teasing. First thing we want to talk about. Let's talk about that quarterback battle because everybody wants to know who the star is going to be, and I don't believe they've made a public announcement yet. So, give me your insight on this QB battle going on at LSU. Yeah, um, it has been a really interesting quarterback battle, and I think for a while no one really had a that good of a sense as to who was going to be the starter. And, and of course, they haven't. Uh, you were right; they have not um, officially announced who it's going to be. But um, Coach Kelly told us on Saturday that we're going to get an answer to that question pretty soon. And I think the sort of the, like the general consensus on this, um, I mean, just from, you know, people covering just as someone who covers the team and from watching practices and sort of talking about it with other people is just that it looks like Jaden Daniels is probably going to be the starting quarterback. Again, that's probably, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked if Nussmeyer ends up winning the job, but it looks like it's probably going to be Daniels. And I think, there's two key reasons as to why. I think, for one, it's his starting experience. And Garrett Nussmeyer has never started a college game before, despite playing a lot in that Arkansas game. While Jane Daniels, on the other hand, has started 29 games in three seasons at Arizona State. Um, and I think that matters to Coach Kelly. I mean, at Notre Dame, he always liked playing the quarterback uh, with a lot of experience, or at least the veteran in the room. Right, um, even a guy like Ian Book, for example, he didn't really play much until his junior year. He didn't wasn't named the starter until halfway through that season, and um, he became one of the one of their best quarterbacks under one of uh, excuse me one of Kelly's best quarterbacks. So while well, he was there at Notre Dame, so I think that's a huge factor. Another factor is uh, Daniels's mobility. Um, I, I I think that Mike Dembrock especially really cares about a quarterback who can run around and make plays with his legs. And Daniels can certainly do that. He rushed for over 700 yards last season at Arizona State, and um, it's one of his calling cards. So I, I think those two factors are why you're, are, are you're going to see Daniels eventually win this job. Great. Now, Koki, I want to put you in Brian Kelly's shoes. If you had to make the decision at quarterback between Garrett and Jaden, who would you pick to run your offense? I, I would pick Daniels, and I think the the two reasons why I think they'll pick Daniels is reasons why I would I, I would also pick him. But just to add on to that, though, I, I think Daniels is a pretty good passer. I, I don't think he has quite as much arm talent as Nussmeyer, and maybe not as much arm strength as Nussmeyer, but he does throw a pretty decent ball. Um, he's a very quick decision. He I, he can be a very quick decision maker. He's not someone who's necessarily going to um, uh, read the play and be this sort of this you know three concept three level sort of passer who could take apart the defense while they're sitting in the pocket. He's not really that sort of guy, but if he has a shot that deep, he can he can make it. Um, he's someone who at Arizona State did a really good job of utilizing his top weapons when he had them. Um, that's the key word when he had them because the last two seasons when he struggled, they they didn't really have those. Uh, key weapons on the outside, and, and their offensive line was really undisciplined, and they had all these coaching problems with the NCAA investigation and so on and so forth. So if you put Daniel, my theory with, with Daniel has always been 
if you put him in the right situation where he has the right coaching staff around him and his receivers are really good, then he can thrive. I mean, we saw it when he, when he started as a freshman at Arizona State, and I think you can see it now at LSU because this is going to be the best group of receivers he's ever played with. And I think that's really going to help him just based on his playing style and um, what he sort of, sort of needs. He's not really the sort of quarterback who can lift everyone else around him no matter what the scenario is, right? It's not like an Aaron Rodgers situation in uh, Green Bay where all he needs is Devontae Adams and he's fine. Um, but he is a player who can really thrive under the right circumstances, and I think those circumstances are what he has at LSU. Okay, Coke, this is Duriel again. Uh, let's talk a little about the running backs. I'm not going to put you in Coach Kelly's spot, but just uh, from a spectator and what you've seen out there, you know the LSU Tigers don't have a real superstar running back. You know, uh, John Emery has just got what suspended for a couple games. Who do you see that might be the one to step up and fill that role this year as the halfback for the LSU Tigers? Um, without Emery for the first two games, they're going to be a little light. Um, I, I, I believe Emery, at least reportedly, is is going to appeal that suspension. But assuming the suspension holds, um, there'll be a little light in that department. Uh, as to someone who, as to how this thing's going to work out and, and who's going to sort of step up and be that number one back, I don't think there's really going to be a number one back this season. I think they're going to play. I think Kane's going to play a lot. I think Goodwin's going to play a lot. I think Emery, once he comes back, is going to play a lot, and they're just going to kind of rotate through between those three guys. And Kelly's been pretty consistent in saying that. And just based on the reps that we see in practice, that's sort of what we see. Um, Emery is, has been mostly mostly working with the number two with the twos last week. Uh, but I mean, we also saw Goodwin and Kane kind of split reps with the ones. So there wasn't really one guy didn't really step up as that top number one back. And I think that's okay. Um, I think we're going to a world of football where uh, your running back, your, your running back room has become more and more of a running back by committee sort of approach. It's not one guy who's the three down back. And then you maybe have a pass catching back. It's everyone can do a little bit of everything and you have three or four options that you can go to. And you're even seeing this in the NFL. So I feel like that's going to be their approach this season. Now, looking at the O-line, what what have you seen so far? Because I, I know there were a couple of positions that were up for battle. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, their offensive line, it, it's starting to settle in a little bit from just what we're seeing out there. Um, Coach Kelly's been pretty insistent on the fact that it hasn't been set. Um, but I think I, I think we have a better idea as to who those five guys are going to be. I think Will Campbell's going to be the start of tackle. That really hasn't changed since the spring. Um, I think at left guard, you're probably going to see Traymond Shorts. At center, you're probably going to see Garrett Dellinger, even though I do think Charles Turner has a chance to take that spot. Um, Dellinger was hurt for most of the spring, which is why he wasn't really playing with that much center, but Dellinger's pretty much been the first-team center uh, during preseason practices. I think Miles Frazier's probably going to be the right guard, even though they did try out Anthony Bradford at that spot, who's been mostly playing first-team right tackle. And I think Cam Wire is probably the sixth offensive lineman right now, and he has a chance to start at right tackle to start the season. But I'd say right now it's probably Bradford as, the, as your starting right tackle. Um, and then I think Marcus Doomerville as, as an eighth offensive lineman um, to go along with Turner and um, Wire off the bench. I think those are kind of the top eight guys. And then Emory Jones is the ninth guy. Uh, at least that's what Coach Kelly has said, and that's kind of what we've seen 
um, so far practice. So, so uh, Koki, moving to the defense side of the football, I've been telling everybody that LSU's strength is going to be on the defensive side. But in the defense, where do you see them, I guess, being the strongest at and more depth, whether it be the, the line, the linebackers, or the secondary? Who do you think uh, that group stands out the most right now? I think their defensive line is one of the most talented units in the entire country. Um, I think they have a. I think they could potentially have four guys who can end up being first round draft picks on that defensive line. Um, maybe that won't be the case for all of them, but I think at least two of them. I'd be pretty surprised if they don't become first round draft picks at some point. I mean, Mason Smith's an absolute stud. They're going to have him for next year. Um, I mean, BJ Ojolari, uh earned the number eight number eighteen for a reason. Outside of just um, uh, being a really good leader, I mean, he's going to be a heck of a player for this team on the outside in that jack position. Um, I mean, Ali Gay is back and healthy this season. He's mm-hmm. he, he's a very he's a very productive player. Um, I mean, and I even even though I mentioned all those guys, you're calling Roy being the other one. Their depth on that at that spot is just so is so excellent as well. I mean, Makai Wingo was an all freshman SEC player last season. He's probably coming off the bench. I mean, Jacoby, Jacoby and Guillory sort of gives him a different look on that interior defensive line. They kind of just go down the line. I mean, Quincy Wiggins is only a freshman, but he looks like a senior wow. out there physically. He's a he's a man. <laughs> <laughs> he's a man child out there. So I I think their defensive lines. They not only is there a lot of high quality talent there, but there's also quite a bit of depth there. So um, I, I, I'm I, LSU fans should be very encouraged about that side of the ball. And now. Looking at the kickers, I know, I know there was a little bit of a competition there. Has anyone really stood out and taken control of that? Yeah, it's no one has really taken control of that. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to kind of just repeat uh, what you said with um, it kind of just being an open competition because it is. I mean, Trey Finneson has some experience kicking at Northwestern. Um, not Northwestern State, but Northwestern. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so he's definitely an option. I mean, Nathan Divert was, is the freshman. Um, three star. He, he, apparently, he's shown some pretty good signs, and I don't know. It's a pretty open competition right, right right now. It might be. You could argue that it might be the most open competition on the team at the moment. Um, my guess is Finnison, just because he has some experience. But I'm not 100 percent sure. I mean, they're pretty set at punter with Dave Bramlett. Um, seems like they're pretty set at long snapper with Slade Roy. But uh, yeah, kicker is kicker's pretty wide open at this point. And. and- I'm looking at FanDuel Sportsbook, and I'm a little bit of a gambler, not too, too much, but I'm looking at the over-under for LSU, and it's at 6.5. If you had to bet, are you taking the over or on the under on that? I'm going over. Going over? 6.5 um, is a little low. I think 7.5 would have been a really good number, honestly. Um, I don't think it's like terribly low, but I, I just feel like this team's floor is a little bit higher than people give them credit give. Um, them credit for just because you know Brian Kelly's teams. I mean, what he's had two, two only two or three losing teams in his entire coaching career. He's been coaching for over thirty years. I mean, if, if, if you think about it, six and seven. If they make a bowl game, that's a losing season, right? So you're betting on them having a losing season, even though they do have. A, 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 it's not like they don't have any talent either, right? I mean, yes, I understand that. There's a lot of moving pieces on this team, a lot of new players, a lot of transfers, and I, I understand that it might be a, might take a minute for this team to sort of gel, but I, I don't know. I feel like this team has too much talent for them not to win at least seven games, and 
I think they're roughly an eight-win team. That's kind of where I think a lot of people have sort of been landing on and um, where I've sort of landed on when I just sort of look at the roster top to bottom and some of the questions they have at, at the offensive lines and the depth concerns they have at corner, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I would, I would pretty confidently go over with, on six and a half, though. Great. Well, that's good. That's good, uh, Colky. Now, what about uh, Coach K? You know, he comes over from Notre Dame. He comes to LSU, SEC, uh, and uh, trying to turn it around at LSU. What are some of the things that he's been trying to get sold to the players, get them on the same page, whether it be more more uh, effort and practice, more focus, or more discipline? What are some of the things he's been saying to kind of get that unit to come together as one? I think discipline has been like a, is a real theme since Kelly's taken over. Um, I think more of a focus on stuff like academics and more of a focus on timeliness. Um, things that just don't, things that used to fly with the old coaching staff, but just don't fly with this, with the, with this new one. Um, I mean, this, everything's just a lot more regimented. Everything is extremely organized. Um, Brian Kelly has a political background. You can sort of see that in the way he organizes his team. Um, uh, it's, he isn't, and I want to be sort of careful when I say this because it's not like he's a total drill sergeant, you know, um, he, he, he is sort of in some ways he is a bit of a, he can be a player's coach, you know, um, he's not someone who wants to demean his players. He wants to, he wants to be uh, critical of them, but he does, he always wants to make sure that he's not demeaning to his guys. So. There is a bit of a balance there, but in terms of organization structure, there's a lot of it. <laughs> I'll hey, say that. And, and that plays a big role because I remember playing for Coach Shula, one of the most organized coaches out there, and I got traded to the Cleveland Browns. It was a circus. So it does help when you got a coach that's a disciplinary and he's organized. I think it can count that for one or two more wins this year. Hey, Koki, man, I want to thank you for being our guest. You really kind of brought James now up to speed on the Tigers, and now I won't be afraid to go outside and talk LSU football. Appreciate you. Look forward <laughs> to having you back again, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, uh, hopefully I gave you a little bit more confidence, as you said. Thank you. Hey, you did. You did. Hey, that was Koki Raleigh of the Daily Advertiser. You listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Here's three pieces of advice to live by. Never play cards with a guy whose last name is a state. Don't spit into the wind. And always listen to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Arneville Volunteer Fire Department is hosting a black pot cook-off on Saturday, September 10th. The cooking begins at 8 a.m. and the eating will start at noon at the Flower Auditorium in Arneville. There will be also plenty of live music including Gerald Grunig and Gentilly Zydeco, Dustin Sonier, and Sweet Cecilia. For more information, visit www.arnevillefire.org. Hey, welcome back to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Hey, James, got to give a shout-out to you, man. What great guests you had lined up today. We had two great guests. Uh, we started out with uh, Chris Rossverglue from Boot Crew Media, talking all things Saints, and I tell you, uh, really got an uh, inside sight to uh, – Things are going on in training camp. The guys were uh, catching the coach's attention, 
and uh, just really feel better all about the team overall and the players and just looking forward to talking with Chris again. I mean, for me, it was really enlightening to get some of that inside information on the Saints and getting ready for the upcoming season. Yeah, I made sure to try and grab a couple guys that really knew what they were talking about and also that you, the listener, listen to often because Jordy has Chris usually on on Mondays at about 2.15, but I, I had moved him to 2.30 and then Jordy usually has him on, has Koki on about later in the week, like maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So I, I decided to push him up, but it, it was two people that you're usually able to listen to, and that always gives good information, gives you a better idea on what it's looking like for both the New Orleans Saints and the LSU Tigers. Right. And man, Koki, what, what a great job he did. I mean, for us, I'm concerned. I, I gained so much knowledge about the Tigers today just by listening to the Koki and the questions we got answered. So I, I feel a whole lot better about talking about the Tigers and what to expect this year because he did such a great job giving us some insight, not only from the player's perspective, but as a coach, you know, what decisions he might make for the team. So I just thought Koki did an excellent job, and I couldn't thank him enough uh, for being on today. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad you were able to come in while Jordy is off for the, for the whole week because you're here today and you'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I thought it was a great show. I'm a little biased, though, but I thought it was a great <laughs> guest, and you did a wonderful job, and it's been great working with you, man. I look forward to it tomorrow. I know you're going to do even a better job in getting guests on. So it's been fun, and I can't wait, man. Let's do it again. Oh, yeah, I'm excited for tomorrow. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, we had a great show today. Please join us tomorrow. Uh, we got another great show lined up for you. Before we go, we got coming up on the top of the hour, we got Mesh and Miguez. They'll be coming up at the uh, top of the hour. Till then, uh, I'm Duriel Harris, your guest host for Jordan Hallberg. Uh, James Best and I enjoyed doing the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. Same place, same time. See you.